Welcome to the Expert Gold Podcast, which helps entrepreneurs and business owners develop more magnetic messages on and off the internet. Now join your host, Gihan Pereira, as he helps you turn your ideas, insights and expertise into practical business boosting strategies, tactics and actions. I was recently interviewed by Marsha Yadkin. She's a consultant who teaches speakers, trainers and other business owners how to use tele-seminars effectively in their business. She's now realized, of course, that webinars are also becoming an important communication tool, so she wants to know more about them. Not only how they compare with tele-seminars, but also how they could be useful in their own right. So in this interview, we talk about webinars, how to do them well, how to get started, what technology to use, and how to keep your audience engaged. So listen up, and I hope you enjoyed the interview. Hello, this is Marsha Yudkin of Yudkin.com, creator of the Teleteach for Profit course, and today I'm going to be interviewing Gihan Pereira of WebinarSmarts.com, author of the book Webinar Smarts, for some tips about how to prepare for, manage, and excel at presenting webinars. Our premise today is that we have an expert or a business owner who wants to engage potential clients through a free live webinar or charge a fee for live teaching or training webinar. Gihan Pereira lives in Perth, Australia, where as a business coach, he helps clients leverage their expertise individually and in groups on and off the Internet. He's been presenting webinars often for many years, with often meaning as much as 12 webinar presentations in one month. Yikes! When it comes to webinars, He's experienced just about every kind of glitch you can imagine and survived to tell the tale. Besides webinar smarts, his other books include Out of Office, Using the Internet for Greater Freedom in Your Work Life, Magnetic Messages, and Fast, Flat, and Free, How the Internet Has Changed Your Business. And I'm not sure whether to say good morning or good evening, Gihan, because it's one of those where I am in Massachusetts, USA, and the other where you are in Western Australia. So I'll just say hi. Hi, Marsha. And yes, it's a beautiful, bright morning here in Perth. <laughs> Great. And thank you for helping us understand the potential of webinars. And I want to start off by getting your thoughts on how to use the webinar medium to best advantage. What are a few things, for example, that you can do in webinars that you can't really do in teleseminars? Yeah, and I actually used to do both, Marsha. So I used to, I started with teleseminars before webinars came around, and I loved them. I really did. I really got a lot of value out of them. My clients got a lot of value out of them. When I switched to, uh, to webinars, the most obvious thing is, of course, you have visuals. So it's not just uh, people speaking over a phone and other people listening. You do have visuals. And even when I used to run my teleseminars, what I used to do was create a PowerPoint presentation, save it as a PDF file, and send it to the participants. So they kind of have their visuals in front of them. But with mm. webinars, if the, the presenter, so I'm, I'm controlling the visuals, so it, it really does open up a lot of other possibilities. So I can run my presentation just as if I was standing at the front of a training room and running a presentation with my, uh, with my PowerPoint slides. I can demonstrate things with my web browser. Uh, anything I can show on my screen, I can show to my webinar audience. So having visuals uh, really makes a big difference. And I think that's the biggest thing that webinars bring over teleseminars. And do you find that for certain subjects it makes more of a difference than others having those visuals? 
Um, you look, I think certain subjects lend themselves to be more visual, but also certain types of presentation. And I'm not saying that you should give up teleseminars. I don't think that webinars have completely made teleseminars obsolete. There are times when a teleseminar or where you don't have visuals, where that's, that's the best mode. In fact, I run a monthly webinar, which is a, a forum. And uh, I don't present. I open it up for people to talk about social media, for them to ask questions, for them to answer questions. So I can't really present, uh, prepare any slides. So basically, we just have the one slide up there for the whole time. And everybody is contributing. So they talk, they ask a question, somebody else jumps in and answers the question. So that type of presentation, a teleseminar is better for. But there are certain topics where Having visuals just really enhances the experience because people want to see. So if I'm demonstrating something or if I'm taking people through my website or demonstrating how to use Facebook or I did a webinar recently about how to use Google+, a lot of that webinar wasn't PowerPoint. It was me going into my Google Plus account and showing people how to, how to use it. So those sort of practical how-to webinars that you can actually demonstrate on screen, that's perfect for the webinar medium. That's a great example, and we're going to come back to that idea of showing people how to do something live because that's rather intimidating to some beginners, but we'll get to that issue later. And right now, as I was listening, I was wondering, do you find that the, having a visual component in webinars allows for or is conducive to greater involvement on the part of the listeners or viewers to the extent that you have less drop-off in webinars than you do in teleseminars? Have you noticed that? I haven't actually. I haven't really thought about that. I haven't thought about the, the I haven't actually done the measurements, but I would, I would say that if you do the visuals right, then, and then you can keep your audience engaged because teleseminars and, uh, well, teleseminars, when I, I used to listen to a lot of teleseminars where, where I dial in and attend, but I'd be doing other stuff in the background because I could be listening to it, just like I listen to a lot of podcasts now when I'm riding my bike or at the gym. Yeah. Whereas with webinars, if you do them well, and if you design your visuals well, then you do keep people engaged, and they can't just be multitasking and doing other things. And there's some things that we can that we can do to make that, to facilitate that to actually keep people engaged. But but yeah, yeah, I think having good visuals means that people are engaged both by watching and by listening. Yes, because you they're using more of their senses. They're not just they're not just listening, and that's kind yeah. of obvious. But I think certain things follow from that. Yeah, and actually one thing, one really important point, and it's actually a, a mistake that a lot of webinar presenters make, is that if you're, uh, I know that a lot of uh, the people that you work with, Marsha, as I do, are speakers, consultants, they're, they're presenters, so they stand up in, the front, in front of a room and present from time to time. And when you do that, your visuals, like your PowerPoint slides, they're a visual aid. But in a webinar, your, your slides are the visuals. So they're no longer just an aid. So actually, you have to put a lot more work into preparing your visuals and making them more engaging. And many presenters, they make that mistake. They use too few visuals, which means that like a, a slide's up there for five minutes, and then people are going off and multitasking. What's your opinion on the, the total length of a webinar, the ideal length? One hour or something else? Yeah, look, uh, it, it does vary. It does vary, and depending on, uh, I've, I've seen things from as short as half an hour to to two hours, and it really depends on what you want to what you want to achieve in that time. But typically, uh, especially for people starting out, if you want a rule of thumb, 45 minutes to an hour seems about right. Uh, 
Uh, every two weeks I run a complimentary webinar. So I have a free webinar series which I use to build up my database. And uh, that's, uh, that's half an hour every two weeks. So it's a short presentation with some time for Q&A and that's it. And then I do a little bit of prom promotion at the end and that's it. For my regular training webinars, uh, they go for an hour. And for some of them, uh, so I run a two-day workshop on how to, build, how to build a website. And two weeks before that, we run a, a training webinar to, to help people prepare their content for their website so that when they turn up for their workshop, they've got their content prepared. And that one runs for 90 minutes. It's an hour and a half. But I structure it so I say, look, we're going to do a summary first. And after half an hour, you may decide that you've got enough information now. You don't need to hang around for the, for the next hour. Um, after an hour, again, you may not want to stay on for the rest. And the last half hour is just basically open questions. So if you're going to have longer webinars, that's okay. Just structure it in a way that people can leave early and still get the full value if, if they want to. Now, you mentioned as long as two hours. I think two hours is kind of stretching people's attention span. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, it's, you've got to be really engaging and it's got to be really in-depth and it's not the sort of thing that you do for a, a lead-generating gener lead webinar where you just invite people from the public. But I know clients of mine who, uh, again, they're trainers, they, so they run training programs and then they, sometime after, so let's say four weeks after or six weeks after, they'll have a follow-up training session which would be a two-hour session and they'd say, okay, let's do a two-hour follow-up in-depth ask me anything you like or let's go through and review all this material and it really is in depth. It's like taking people out of their offices and into a training room for two hours but they're on a webinar and I guess some people will come in and they'll come in and leave and you can't expect people to be 100% engaged for that whole two hours but I know there are people where their, their clients say to their team, okay, this two hours is set aside for you to attend David's webinar. Mm. So it does, it does vary, but as a rule of thumb, I'd go for an hour. Okay, good. Thank you. How long does it take you to prepare for a webinar? Let's say there's a new topic that you have not presented on before. How much time would you set aside to prepare your webinar for that topic? Um, look, I think it. I think that's hard to answer, Masha, because it depends on how familiar you are with the topic, even though you may not... Done a, you may not have done a presentation about That's it before. because you're very familiar with it, but you've never put that topic together in webinar format. I think the way to think about it is to think about this as any other presentation. So how long would it take you to prepare that if you were going to present a one-hour seminar on that face-to-face -face in a training room? And it, I think it would take roughly about the same amount of time. In fact, maybe a little bit less maybe a little bit less because you don't have to design as many interactions or you don't actually don't have as much scope to design interactions. Um, you should, but there aren't things like group exercises and getting people breaking up into circles and talking, with, talking in their circles. So look, I reckon um, you can do it in a few hours. So the webinars that I do, um, most of my webinars are new topics. Uh, so I'm familiar with the material, but I've never presented that webinar topic before. But generally a few hours. Uh, but that's because I'm pretty familiar with the material. And again, I think it comes back to if you know your material really well and you're pretty skilled at doing PowerPoint, then it's easy eat the slides and, and you can create them pretty quickly. Um, I, I, I think it comes back to, I don't think there's anything special about webinars that make them um, quicker or slower to prepare. It depends on how, how well you can get your ideas into order and, and do PowerPoint if that's what you're going to use. Well, can I ask I you wonder, how long it takes? 
I, I wonder what I'm doing wrong then, because I, I do I do about oh about ten times as many teleseminars as I do webinars, and I find that the webinars take me at least five or six times longer to prepare because of the visuals and because there's I can't leave anything to chance. I have to have the order of the slides uh, and e- even my script completely prepared. And for a teleseminar, I can be more fluid. I can work off an outline without having everything in some kind of rigid order. So do you want some coaching around that? Uh, I'm, I'm sure other people have that same issue. It's not just me. So if you have any suggestions, I think that would be helpful to our listeners as well. Yeah, sure. Look, um, so, so tell, me, tell me about the thing about getting the slides in the right order and why, you, why that's more, dif- more difficult for you in a webinar than in a teleseminar. Well, for example, right now, I, during this interview that we are having at this very moment, I have a list of questions in front of me, but I have the option to skip around, and yet when I'm doing a webinar, I have put the slides in a certain order, and maybe if I were more familiar with the technology, I would be able to, to switch the order around, but I don't feel like I can do that in front of a live audience. It would be that would be a disaster for me, so that I feel that in a webinar I have to stick to the script. Yes, okay, and most presenters do that. And in fact, I do too. It's, uh, I do know how to pause the webinar screen so people can't see me jumping back to a previous slide or jumping ahead, but I don't do that very often. That maybe happens 5% of the time, um, and maybe in one, in one in five webinars. So most of the time, it is just going ahead in the, in the order that I've prepared it. Um, one, thing it's, uh, one thing that's different, Marsha, is that, see, we're talking now in an interview situation, and something I might say might trigger off some other thought, which will take you off your, off your planned set of questions. With a webinar, I suggest, especially if you're starting out, start off as being the presenter. So if you think about the 80-20 rule, 80% of it is you presenting and 20% of it is audience interaction and questions. So if you're working that way, then yes, you are doing it in the same order and you don't have to worry about jumping back and forth. So yes, I understand what you're saying about you having to think about which order you're going to put the slides in. Um, and so that does make a difference. Uh, I take it it also takes some time for you to, do, uh, to actually create the slides? Yes, I don't use PowerPoint as a, as a, that often. So... Uh, I mean, I am familiar with the program, and I know how to make the slides, but it just seems to take so long. Yeah, and I find a lot of presenters have that problem, so I know where you're coming from. And, and that's, I think that comes back to just going, okay, the more familiar I become with PowerPoint, the easier it will be for me to use it. And there's some really, there's some really useful techniques now in, and some really good features in the later versions of PowerPoint, uh, both for PC and Mac, that make it very easy for you to write your slides as lists of bullet points and then convert them into more attractive webinar visuals or more attractive visuals which work really well on webinars. So that, uh, I completely agree with you, it takes time to create slides and the more you do it, the, the, the easier it becomes. It, re- it really does. And So I would guess, Marsha, that if you're not doing a lot of PowerPoint for webinars, you're probably not doing a, pa- a lot of PowerPoint for face-to-face presentations either. No, I generally get up in front and I want to be the center of attention. Yep, and that's exactly right. That's exactly right, and that's what you should be in any face-to-face presentation. Even if you're a PowerPoint wizard, you should be the center of attention. And when you go to webinars, what 
what you're missing or what the audience is missing is that they, they don't get to see you. So yes, you then have to invest time into creating PowerPoint slides. So look, I, I don't think there's any solution to this apart from, apart from just becoming familiar with A, with the PowerPoint, and B, just be, with designing and structuring webinars so that you can just do them almost in your sleep. <laughs> well, we, we've been talking so far about preparing PowerPoint slides for a webinar, but earlier you hinted that there are other ways to create the visuals for, uh, for a webinar. So what are some other options besides using PowerPoint? Yes, and look, this depends on the webinar technology you're using. So I use GoToWebinar, and we can first not get into that at this stage, but uh, there's some, there's two kinds of webinar technology. So one allows you to share everything that's on your screen. So whatever appears on your screen, your audience can see, and, or, or you can select that you can show them one window on your screen. The other kind of webinar technology is where you have to send the webinar software your slides in advance. And all, the, all you can do is scroll through your slides one at a time. So if you've got that second kind, then pretty much you're limited to just PowerPoint. That's all you can do with your visuals. But if you've got that first kind where you can share anything on your screen, you literally can. Anything that's happening on your screen, your audience can see. So, for example, I do a lot of demonstrations or, or tutorials on how to use online tools like how to create a Facebook page, how to do a Google+, Plus, how to get involved in Google+, Plus, how to use a particular website. So anything like that, I, I just simply open up my web browser window and I can show, I can show people that live in the webinar. Um, I've also used, uh, you know, you can open up Microsoft Paint and draw a picture. So instead of having your picture already created in PowerPoint, why not just open up a blank sheet in Microsoft Paint and draw a picture? So anything that you can show on your screen, you can show in your webinar. Um, I've seen somebody who's opened up an Excel spreadsheet and she filled it in as she was going because she was demonstrating something about Excel and she had a spreadsheet open and, sorry, she wasn't actually teaching Excel but she was demonstrating some bookkeeping function or some, mm -hmm. some way to do some, some numbers in your business and she said, look, here's how you do it in Excel and she opened up an Excel spreadsheet and demonstrated that. So I, I'd say if you're starting off, uh, stick to PowerPoint um, so that you just have to go through the slides in sequence, you don't have to worry about remembering to click this button at this point, all you do is you go to the slides. But as you become more familiar with it, you can, you absolutely can share your screen and share other things as well and demonstrate other things. So webinars are really good for how-to tutorials and demonstrations. Now how about um, using a webcam as part of a webinar? Is that technologically possible and is that, if so, is that something you might want to do? Yeah, look, it, it is, and some webinar technology allows it, some doesn't. Uh, I don't like it. I don't like it. It, it, it forces, like, that, that means that people see me, which means that I then need to care about it. I do have to worry about my lighting and my background and um, whether I'm wearing clothes and things like that. Uh, I actually like the fact that they don't see me, they hear my voice, and they see my slides. So the, the webcam, I think, is only useful if there's actually something useful about them being able to see me. So if I'm demonstrating some sort of communication skills or body language, then obviously a webcam will help. But otherwise, I find it's a little bit, when I've attended webinars with, where I can see the presenter, I find it's a little bit distracting because you usually see them, uh, they, don't, they haven't thought too much about their background, so they're not in a professional studio, of course. So you see a messy background, the lighting's not always great. Um, so they're sometimes wearing a big bulky headset so they don't look their best. 
And also, the, the other disadvantage of a webcam is that often you'll see the presenter looking down at their notes, so they're looking at the, the, the next question that they've got to ask, and, if you, and that's a little bit distracting. So in some ways, it's easier to prepare for a webinar than for a face-to-face -face presentation because mm -hmm. you can have your notes in front of you. In fact, one of the things that I do, Marsha, and this is actually quite a useful tip, is I take my PowerPoint presentation after I've created it, I save it as a PDF file and transfer it to my phone. So on my smartphone, I have my phone next to me and I can be looking at the slides. So I can see what slides are coming up. I can see if I need to go back to an earlier slide. I can scroll through that and it doesn't affect anything that the audience is seeing. But if I had a webcam, then you could see me looking down and you'd see me losing eye contact. And that happens a lot. I think unless you're very experienced speakers who, who knows how to speak to camera well, then a webcam is actually more of a disadvantage than an advantage. And doesn't the webcam also distort people's faces sometimes? It does sometimes, and and partly the, the there's also an issue of uh, slow internet access. And here in Australia, like we've got a reputation for being one of the like one of the poorest internet uh, internet enabled countries in the world. Well, we're very highly internet enabled, but the internet at the moment is pretty is still reasonably slow. Even though most people have now got broadband, so it does slow down the. The, the webinar present, presentation because the webinar technology has to transmit video across the internet and that's not always very, very fast and that certainly does uh, slow things down and the video looks a little bit clunky at times. So I don't like it even though GoToWebinar is now introducing the video, the, the webcam facility, I don't ever use that feature. I'd much rather that they just heard my voice and I could put all my effort into my slides and, and whatever I'm demonstrating on the screen. Well, you've certainly given us some good reasons not to do that, so thank you for that. <laughs> um, look, I'm not saying you shouldn't, but just, just be aware that if you do, that there are some limitations that, that you do. You, I think you just have to raise your, your visual uh, skills to a much higher level, and you do have to think about what, what, what do you care about when you're on video. And uh, but if you don't use a webcam, then you don't have to care about those things. You can focus on your content and the visuals that you create in PowerPoint and your web browser and so on. Mm. Now, when you are presenting a webinar, are, are you running that all by yourself, or do you have an assistant or a confederate or somebody who's helping you technically in some way? Uh, look, I've done it both ways. I've done it both ways. Most of the webinars that I run, I run by myself. So if I'm the main presenter, I'll run the webinar by myself. I have been a guest presenter on other people's webinars. In fact, go to webinar, the company that runs it, uh, that, that owns the software Citrix, they've had me as a guest presenter a couple of times. And that's been a quite an interesting experience because in some ways it's great because James, the, the host from Citrix, he basically it does the introduction, he manages the questions, so he decides which questions to ask me in what order. Um, so he's pressing all the buttons. All I have to do is focus on my, on my presentation. And if you're getting started, I think it's a really good way to get started. Have somebody as a guest presenter, so you learn how to press the buttons, or have some, or, or be a guest presenter on somebody else's webinar, so they're pressing the buttons, and all you care about is your content. So I've done that. Uh, I've done that, and uh, now I'm familiar enough that I can run it by myself. But certainly, if you're starting out, I think it's a really good idea to have somebody else press the buttons for you, or you press the buttons for them, and th that way you can work together. If you if you've got two people like that, it can be. You just got to be careful about being really clear about what your roles are. 
So if you've got one person as a guest presenter and the other person as the host or the interviewer, just be careful that that interviewer doesn't st suddenly start coming in and adding their content because then, then the audience gets a little bit frustrated because they're, they're listening to one person and then the, pers the person in the background who's only meant to be there pressing buttons jumps in and they want to add their little two cents worth to every comment or every piece of content that the, the main presenter is making. So just be careful about those roles if you're working that way. Mm. I totally agree with that because I've listened to many teleseminars where there's an invited guest and the host goes on and on and on and I am saying to the host as I'm listening, shut up, please. Exactly. It's quite tempting, especially if you're used to being a presenter and you're used to speaking. It's quite tempting to do that because you have got control and especially if you're the person pressing the buttons, you can jump in at any time. And, uh, and it can, it's very annoying for the presenter as well. Well, I like the idea of having somebody behind the scenes to collect the questions for me and to make sure that the audio is working so that I would have fewer things to worry about. Uh, that, that would be very comforting to me. Yeah, and I do recommend that if you're getting started. I've recommended that to a number of my clients. I've said, look, why don't you just buddy up? So just take turns. So one, um, one, one time you be the, you learn how to press the button, let the other person present, and the next time on, on the other person's webinar, just swap roles. They don't even know if you're talking about the same content. It's just like helping each other mm -hmm. learn the technology and getting familiar with the webinars. That's a great suggestion. Let's go on to the topic of how to keep the audience involved and not multitasking during the webinar. We talked a little bit about that, but do you have more tips about that? Yeah, sure, I do. The first thing is that webinar audiences, they care about getting high content. So the most important thing that you, that the most important piece of advice I can give Marsha is solve their problems. So it's very, it's very difficult to keep your audience engaged if the content's not relevant to them. So make sure that the content that you've got is relevant. That's the first piece. And you might say, well, that's really obvious, and that should be the case in every presentation. And that's true. The difference is that most people aren't going to walk out of a face-to-face -face presentation if the content's not relevant. They'll just hang around until some relevant part uh, appears, or they might just work on their iPad checking email until something relevant turns up. But with a webinar, they can walk out simply by just hanging up and, and just closing down their webinar window. So they will do that if you're, if you're not being relevant. So the most important thing is to be relevant. The second thing I'd say is, look, I have a rule. Have, it's that all care, no responsibility. So I put a lot of effort into, into designing my webinars, but I also recognize that Everything I say, I, I can't expect everyone to be 100% engaged for that whole hour. And if there's something else that's more important for them to be doing at that time, then it's, it's right for them to be doing that. I mean, how arrogant am I to be thinking that, they, no, they shouldn't be doing that. They should turn off their email. They should shut down their phone. They should have no windows open except my webinar window. That just doesn't make sense. It, we're all busy. We've all got lots of competing priorities. And if some people take some time off or they, they arrive late or they leave early or they take some time off in the middle of my webinar because they want to check email, well, maybe that's the best thing for them to do. Now, I'm not saying that you should work on the basis that you don't care about what you present because people are going to be leaving. However, 
just I, I think you should just recognize that some people are going to be leaving anyway, um, even even temporarily or for a few minutes. So I don't aim, uh, I mean, I aim to make my webinars as engaging as possible, but I don't have an unrealistic expectation that people will be sitting there doing nothing else for the hour. So with that in mind, there are a couple of, there's still a couple of things that I would recommend that you do. One of the biggest mistakes, and I kind of touched on this earlier, is um, not, not having enough slides. So not having enough visuals. So if you have very few visuals, it's just so much easier for people to be multitasking. So I recommend for a webinar presenter, you've got to have more slides than you would in a face-to-face -face presentation for the reason I mentioned earlier, because your, your slides aren't, aren't just a visual aid, they are the visuals. So you should have lots of slides. The other thing, is, which is a little bit daunting for new webinar presenters, is to have lots of interaction. And we can talk more about that if you want to, Masha. But yes, there are I things would, you can I would like to hear more about that, because I know yes. that, uh, um, that can present technical and logistical challenges, as well as just having to manage the flow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so well, let's, let's talk about that then. So, there's lots of things you can do with interaction. So you can run polls, you can open up the line for questions, you can have questions only typed in, or you can have people with microphones where they can come in like they, like they do on a, con uh, on a tele-seminar. Um, you can get people to do exercises privately. Uh, you can sometimes get them to take part in a chat room. So there are those sort of things you can do. My advice is think about, especially if you're, if you're already doing presentations, think about the way you started your presentations. When you first started, and you may have started in Toastmasters, or you may have started doing presenting in other areas, you probably didn't have a very highly interactive presentation. Uh, you may have just presented and maybe had a little section for questions, and that may have been it. But as you became more and more familiar and became more and more comfortable with presenting, you'd have done things like said, okay, let's break up into groups, let's have conversations, let's bring up other people to present, let's, let, let's interview somebody from the audience, and you become much more interactive and engage the audience more. Well, I think you should do the same with your webinars. Don't feel that you have to run five polls and have five Q&A segments and uh, interact in the chat room for your very first webinar. Start small, like take baby steps, and then build up their engagement as you go along. But the more that you put in there, the more interaction you have. Generally, the more you have, the more engaging it will be, and the more likely your audience will hang around because they want to feel part of it. Some people feel that polls in webinars where you ask a question and then people vote on their keypads, so to speak, they're kind of, some people feel they're kind of lame and that they're um, put in there just for the sake of seeming to have some interaction, but they don't really add anything to the presentation. And I wonder if you have any tips on, on how to decide whether a poll is really going to add something or is, is going to be a time waster. Yeah, look, look, I'm one of those people, Sasha. I'm one of those people who thinks polls are kind of lame, right? But people love them. I'm just amazed. Like, I, and I ask my audiences in, in various contexts. I say, look, which bits, of the, which bits of the engagement do you like the most? So I run, a, I run a program about how to run effective webinars, and I ask those people, I say, look, which bits of the in interaction do you like the most when you're in, audi in the audience? And they say, we love the polls. <laughs> uh, and in general, people love polls because, and I think there's a couple of things. So one is they, that they know that they're not just sitting at something where there's a presenter speaking and he doesn't care about me. 
Okay, so I think that's one thing, that people actually do feel like they can do something, so they're part of it, they're not just an observer. The second thing I found, and this is some of the feedback, some, when I said, why do you like polls? One of the reasons that they like polls is because they know where they fit in the group. It's quite um, like a webinar webinar presentation can be quite an isolating experience, which is good and bad. So you don't get that group dynamic um, in a webinar, and the poll allows you to do that. You know, oh, I'm within the 50% who kind of is doing some of this already, or oh, I'm kind of a newbie at this, and that's good because most other people are also newbies. So they like to know that they're in the majority, or even if they're in the minority, they kind of realize where they fit within the room. And so they feel like part of a group rather than just being sitting in, in their home office as one person um, as, as an individual. So I think that's one reason why polls work well. So now, quite often, I'll have a poll early in the presentation, early in the webinar, just for that reason. But I think you, you've got to be careful, and I think you touched on it, Marsha, that it's got to be meaningful. You've got to do a poll that actually makes sense. So if you run a poll early on, it's kind of trying to find out um, for, your, for your benefit and for everybody else's benefit who's in the room. And that's the way I frame it. So if I have a poll, so let's, let's say I'm running a webinar about, well, I'm running one next month about how to create a membership website. So when I start off, I will start with a poll that says, um, okay, where are you on your path to a membership website? So you, you Obviously, they're thinking about it. So I might say, okay, you've, you've planned one, but you haven't started. You've got one, but it's not working. Or you've got one, and it's working really well, and you just want some extra, extra, extra bits and extra tips. So that might be my poll. And then the way I'll frame it up is I'll say, look, I just wanted to, just to show everyone uh, who's in the room and where you're at, let's run this simple poll. And that way, I've framed it up as we're doing it for a reason, so it's a benefit for you, not just for me to run a poll to prove that I can, use, that I can press the right button. Um, yes, and I, I, I'm thinking about a time when I did a webinar and I did a poll and I, I had been told I had to do a poll, so I racked my brains and came up with a question, but I was really surprised at the answers that were the most popular and that added an element of spontaneity to the program. Yeah, and that's the other thing as well, that if you, and especially once you become more familiar with the technology, you can decide based on the poll results, okay, we're going to spend more time on this and we're going to spend less time on this. And that is something that I've definitely done and uh, it gives me... It, it gives me a justification later in the webinar to say, look, 73% of you said this, so I'm going to spend a bit more time in this area. So that definitely, again, makes the audience feel like, oh, actually, he's listening to me. It's not just something that he's doing for a recording, and I might as well just watch the recording later. Now, what about taking questions within the, the, the webinar? Do you have any rules of thumb about how often you should take questions or how many questions? Because I think if you, it may be if you take too many questions, people will get annoyed because they're not hearing the experts speak enough. What's your view on this? Yeah, they're exactly right. So the, my, the, I've got a few rules about taking questions. Um, so the first thing is don't take the questions too early in the webinar. So present some really good content first so that people can see you, that, that you're positioned as the expert, they know which angle you're coming from, and so the questions are more relevant and pertinent. So that's the that's first rule of thumb. Um, look, this, the second thing I'd say with questions is the, the more often you do them, the better. So I would rather have short question sections in the webinar rather than presenting for 15 minutes and then saying 
in the last 10 minutes is for questions. In fact, ending, of, en ending any presentation with questions is generally a bad way to end because the energy is just wrong. You just, mm. uh, you just kind of have a bit of a lame ending where you just uh, end up by going, oh, no more questions? Okay, thanks everyone. Bye. Mm -hmm. so, so you don't want to end a presentation that way. But, and yet, most, most webinar presenters do. They do a presentation and then they end with a question and answer section. I would rather stop along the way with questions. And I do it a couple of ways. So one is, it depends on the topic, depends on the type of audience, but one is that I will actually have a slide that says any questions. And I'll stick that slide in at the end of basically once I've finished a major point. So, and that may end up being five or six times through a one hour, se uh, through a one hour webinar, I'll, stop, I'll deliberately stop for questions. Also, informally, I will say, even if I don't have that slide up there, I'll, when I've finished something, I'll just go, look, if there's any questions, can you raise your hand or type the question in the question box? Uh, and then I'll just keep, keep an eye on to see in, if any questions are coming in, and I don't have to then stop. I'll just have to, I only have to stop if questions are coming in. But when I come to my question spot, or my question slide, uh, generally the slide before that, I'll say, look, I'm going to demonstrate this, and then I'm going to stop for questions. So it gives people a, gives people a chance to think about what questions they might have, and then we come to the question section, and then I, then I will deliberately stop. And if there are no questions, I'll just basically stop for about five or 10 seconds, and if there's no one asks a question in that time, then I'll continue. So the thing about lots of questions is also a really good one. Uh, if you get too many questions, one of the advantages of a webinar is that the audience doesn't see who's got their hand raised. So unlike in a face-to-face -face presentation, where if I'm standing there and I'm answering questions and lots of people have got their hand up, I have to say, look, I'm sorry, I need to get on to the next point. We'll come back to questions later. With a webinar, I don't need to do that. The, Obviously, the audience members who haven't got their questions asked, uh, answered, they know that I didn't get to them, but the rest of the audience doesn't know. So, and I, I don't think that's cheating. It's just a case of me just moving on to the next point, and then I can come back to questions, uh, to earlier questions later. Now, what's your preference for how you prefer to take the questions? Do you prefer to have a way for people to ask them by voice? or type them on their keyboard, or when you're running your own webinar, how do you like to do that? My preference is for them to ask questions out loud. I'd much rather have, the question, have them talk. Um, there's a couple of caveats to that, though. So the, the reason I like them asking questions out loud is because then, again, they feel, part of the, they feel part of the group, and the rest of the group hears another voice, they hear other people, they, they know that they're part of a group. So I prefer doing it that way. However, there are a couple of downsides to that. One is, generally, you won't get as many questions because you won't be able to get through as many questions mm -hmm. because... People, people tend to ramble or they say, hi, my name is Masha and uh, you know, I was listening to this bit when you're talking about this. And it generally, they, they, they speak so many more words than they would type if they were typing the question. So I wouldn't do that generally in my shorter webinars. So if I'm running a, sh a very short 30-minute webinar where I've only got a short amount of time for questions, I'd rather, have them type, I'd rather have them type them in and I'll read them out because I can then if I need to, I can abbreviate them, I can, I can put them in context, I can do two questions on the same topic uh, together without having to worry about people coming in and asking the same, a similar question again later. So you've got a lot more control if people type in the questions. But me, uh, for the 
to create the feeling that we're a group and that we're doing something live, I prefer to have the questions out loud. And most presenters prefer to have the questions typed in. And if you're starting out, again, if you're, if you're unfamiliar with the, if you're worried about the technology, you're worried about turning people's microphones on and off and all of that sort of thing, don't worry about it. Just Forget about that. Just have them type their questions in. And if you're really worried about it and you think that the questions are going to throw you off, even if they're typed in, ask for questions sent in advance. So that's another, that's another technique you can use. The people who have registered for the webinar, you can email them beforehand and say, look, send me your top questions and I'll make sure that I'll give them priority. So when you get to your question, when you stop for questions, you can say, look, here's a question that came in. Or if you ask for questions and nobody asks the question, then you can read out one of the questions that came in advance. Mm -hmm. So I think there are three ways you can do it. You can have people ask questions out loud, you can have people type them in live, or you can have them sent in advance. That's great. And so people who are listening today can decide which they would be most comfortable with in a certain stage in their webinar presentation development. Exactly right. Yep. Let's talk now about how you, what, what is your physical setup? One of the things you mentioned is that in addition to your computer, which I assume is a, is that a desktop or a laptop that you're using? It's a, lap, it's a laptop computer. Got your laptop and then you have your smartphone next to it. Tell me what else the physical setup looks like. I assume you have a glass of water nearby. Tell me what else you, you have there. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. There's one other really important thing that I have, and that is my broadband internet connection plugged in. So I have broadband at home um, through you know through the cable, but I also have it connected to wireless. So whenever I can use it anywhere in the home wirelessly. But I would highly recommend if you're the webinar presenter, try and plug in uh, to the to the broadband connection rather than trying to use it wirelessly. The, it just means that the it's more reliable, a bit faster, and less likely to have glitches. So whenever I run a webinar, I try to make sure that I've got cable or ADSL plugged in rather than running it wirelessly. So that's the other important thing. The, everything else is just comfortable chair, my normal, office, my normal home office desk. Um, one thing I realize that it, is that if I close the door in my office, uh, it causes uh, audio problems. So the, the audio sounds very echoey, which I found when I did that one. So I have to make sure that I have the door open, which means I have to be careful about other distractions. So if you have pets or kids or um, other noises, other background noises, you just got to be careful that, that you make sure that they aren't going to distract you during the webinar. And you might find if you've got a small room at your office like I do, that closing the door actually affects the, the audio quality, especially in the recording. So you just have to be careful about things like that. But apart from that, it's just basically me sitting at my, my normal office desk with my computer plugged into the internet. Mm -hmm. And do you use a headset? Yes, so I would say definitely use a headset if you're the presenter. If you're in the audience, you don't need to have a headset. So most uh, the modern PCs and Macs, the the inbuilt microphone and speakers are fine. You can work with just that. But as a presenter, you want to have a better quality. So have a headset and get a USB headset because that gives you better quality again. And here in Australia, like you can get headsets fairly cheaply. It's like fifty dollars or so, and uh, I think. Any of those headsets are fine. Uh, the USB headsets are definitely the better ones, so I'd, re I'd definitely recommend that. So the USB headset is plugged into the computer. It's not plugged into the telephone line, correct? Oh, yeah, actually, that's, that's a good question because you can use, uh, with 
go to a webinar, which is the technology that I use, you can phone in to the webinar as well, both as, an, as a participant and the presenter. You can actually present uh, over a phone line. They give you a phone number that you can call, or you can plug into the computer, and then you just use it straight through the computer. I've only ever done it through the computer, and that is generally high quality, because there you're doing it over an internet connection, which is pretty high quality, provided you, nobody else is downloading big movies at the same time in your home. Um, it's generally high enough quality, and it's better quality than a phone line. Okay. I'm wondering, have you used a variety of webinar services? You have mentioned GoToWebinar uh, go most often, but have you experienced a variety of them? And is there a particular service that you would recommend is especially newcomer-friendly? Yes, I think that, uh, well, I use GoToWebinar now, and I use it exclusively. I've tried a couple of others. There are, there's one called AnyMeeting, AnyMeeting.com, which is free, and it allows you, I think, up to 200 participants. It has a lot of features that GoToWebinar does. In fact, it's, it's one of many. There are many now, Marsha, many webinar services or online meeting services, and I'm sure you find the same with the with teleseminars and conference calls. Mm -hmm. I remember three years ago when I was doing mostly teleseminars, there seemed to be a new conference call service that, that sprung up every week or every second week. They, they were really popular and that's the same now. Um, just one thing to be careful of or, or just one thing to keep in mind, it's not, not necessarily to be, to, it's not something to be worried about, but when you compare these these many services, just keep in mind whether they're offering online meetings or whether they're offering webinars. And the difference is that uh, there are many services that will offer online meetings. So on Skype, for example, you can, you can pay a little bit of money to Skype. There's, there's a Skype service which allows you basically to run video Skype, which does allow you to share your screen as well. So in effect, you can run a small webinar uh, using Skype. You can also do it using Google+. So Google+, Plus has a feature called Hangouts, which is basically um, free video, video conferencing. But again, it allows you to share, share your screen or share a Google document that you're working on. So there are a number of tools now that allow you to set up a live event and, and to conduct a live event. The thing I like about GoToMeeting and GoToWebinar is that well, GoToWebinar in particular, it actually helps you with all the stuff leading up to the webinar and the stuff that you do after the webinar as well. So if you register for one of my webinars, Marsha, the, the, as soon as you register, you get an automatic confirmation email, uh, which, will add, which you can click a button. It will add it to your Outlook calendar. Um, you'll get automatic emails leading up to the webinar, some reminder emails, and I can choose how frequently they arrive. Uh, by default, they, you'll get one a week before, a day before, and an hour before. So all those reminders happen automatically. If I want to uh, send you a survey after the webinar, I can program that in, and it will automatically send you a survey um, you know, seven days after the webinar. So all of that preliminary stuff and the, the follow-up stuff, GoToWebinar does, and many of these other services don't. So if you're going to be presenting a lot of webinars, and I do, and you said that the, in the introduction that I do 10 to 12 a month, and that, uh, you said up to 12 a month, and that's true. And that's regular. So regularly I run at least 10 webinars a month. So I don't want to be manually sending out reminders to people who've registered. Uh, I don't want to remember uh, the week after the webinar that I have to send out a survey to the people who, who attended. So if you're going to be running a lot of webinars, like I do, then something like GoToWebinar takes all that 
all of that's trouble away from you. You don't have to do any of that manually or you don't have to have another system that does that. But if you only get to run the occasional webinar, then one of the other services is fine. So something like any meeting anymeeting.com, um, the free service is fine. You, you use it to set up your webinar. You'll have to send the reminders, but when they turn up on the day, you can run the webinar, uh, you can run the webinar live. Mm -hmm. Great. The, the other thing I should say about GoToWebinar is that they have a 30-day um, obligation-free trial. So you can, you can sign up with GoToWebinar, run your first webinar too, uh, see, how, see how well you like it, and then cancel if you don't like it. But it does give you the chance to try it out um, fully free uh, and fully obligation free um, to see whether you like it or not. And I've loved it. I've, I've probably run it for about probably about three years now I've been using GoToWebinar and it's pretty reliable. So twice I've had a problem um, and only once actually was GoToWebinar's problem. Hmm. Um, I live out in the country and until two years ago I had internet through satellite. And more often than not, I was unable to join webinars because of the nature of the satellite link-up. And uh, I mean, it wasn't true broadband. Maybe it wasn't fast enough or there was a delay or something, but it, it just didn't seem to, to work with some of the services. And I wonder how often you have been in a situation where people have signed up to participate in a webinar and then for technical reasons they have been unable to join join the program? Yeah, that used to happen more frequently and it's happening much less frequently now and I think that's just because the, the technology has matured. And this, the same as you, uh, Marsha, I don't live in the country, but three years ago when I first started using webinars, the, it was a little bit more clunky. The, there, were, there were more people who couldn't, who couldn't join and I'd get the occasional glitch more frequently than I do now. Uh, there, there haven't been major problems, uh, so probably in the three years that I've been running it, the one problem I had just once, there was once GoToWebinar was done and nobody could join, so I couldn't run the webinar. Uh, I couldn't join to start it and participants couldn't join, but that was once in three years that I've had that problem. Very occasionally, uh, I will experience audio problems where people will say, I can't hear you, and that goes away after a couple of after a minute or so. So there's some, and I think that's just something's happening with my internet service provider that they suddenly get slow for a minute or so. But apart from that, it's pretty reliable. Uh, and for participants as well. So uh, when I first started webinars, because you know the thing about conference calls and teleseminars, Marsha, it's, just, it's dead easy to use. People pick up the phone, they dial the number, and they're in. It's very rare that you have a problem with that. And when I first started webinars, my, my biggest fear was that I'd be getting so many tech support calls because people wouldn't be able to join the webinar. Uh, and I think if I'd started webinars when webinars were first when webinars first came out, I might have had more of those problems. But I waited until three years ago, and uh, then the, the technology was reasonably mature, and even now, it's become so much better now. So I very rarely have problems, and most of the people that, uh, most of my clients, they rarely have problems either on their webinars. Um, participants occasionally have problems because they upgrade to the newest version of the Mac operating system, and then there was one recent upgrade that wasn't compatible with GoToWebinar or it blocked GoToWebinar, so then they had to download the latest version. But, but it's, it's, that's, that's rare. Uh, so now I find that most people are able to get through. It's, it's probably about the same amount of people who get stuck in traffic on the way to face-to-face -face presentations so they can't get there, <laughs> they can't make it. So look, I reckon, it's, I reckon the technology problems are probably about, probably about that same sort of proportion. 
And uh, what about corporate firewalls? So a few years ago that used to be a problem. Have you had any problems like that um, where people were trying to get in on the webinar from their company computer and were blocked? Yeah, I have. I've had that. Um, it actually didn't happen to me, but it happened to one of my clients where she had she was running webinars and she found that a particular group of people couldn't get through. And they basically, after the webinar, they, they contacted her. She contacted the, the webinar company and they said, look, it's a, just get your IT department just to, to approve this Java applet and that's it. So I didn't quite understand the details. She didn't either, but their tech, tech people talked to the IT people, and the IT people were happy with it uh, because generally the way the corporate firewalls, they're, they're happy to approve stuff that, that is okay. So that it wasn't a security problem. It's just a case of them saying, okay, well, we're only, only going to approve it if we've been asked to do so. So that's the only time that I've heard of that problem. Um, and again, now that more and more people are, as the technology matures, there are more firewalls that will automatically accept these signed applets, and so you don't have to worry about uh, having to even manually ask the IT department to approve it. So I, I don't think there's so much of a problem now. Mm -hmm. And so as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking that uh, maybe there aren't that many glitches that a beginner would have to be worried about, or are there certain things that, that, that someone who's on their first webinar should be on the lookout for to make sure that uh, they notice it if it happens or to try, to try to prevent it from happening or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And you've actually hit the nail on the head because you said, you said exactly the two things that you need to keep in mind. So one is the glitches that you need to be aware that might happen, and the second is what you can do to prevent them from happening. So the, the main glitches that you find are if you, as, a, as you start out as a beginner with webinars, I reckon just start with baby steps, as I said. So try to create as few failure points as possible, which is kind of an engineering term. So try to engineer as few things that, that can go wrong. So for your first webinar, I don't recommend that you have PowerPoint and web browser windows and Excel spreadsheets and opening up the microphone for questions every few minutes and letting people raise their hands and having a public chat room. Don't do all that when you get started. You're just making life difficult for yourself. Start with a PowerPoint presentation. Just, just PowerPoint slides. Don't have any fancy animation in them. They're just a series of slides that you, that you run through in your presentation. I mean, you can still have the engagement. So you still stop for questions and you allow people to type questions in, so don't worry about turning microphones on. So you still have the interaction that way. Save your, uh, so, so that will actually minimize the problems you're going to have. Then, um, just as a backup, save your PowerPoint as a PDF file. So save it as a PDF file and have that available. You might even want to send that to your participants. Um, in the early days when I was running webinars, I would save my PowerPoint as a PDF file and upload it to my web server or to Dropbox or some account like that. And I just had it there just in case my visuals failed. I would be able to quickly send an email to all the participants saying, oh, hey, my visuals have failed. Here's a link to download the slides, and let's start again from page 17. Mm -hmm. I never had to use it, but it reassured me that it was there just in case I needed it. So you can do little backups like that. If you've got somebody who's acting as your host and they're going to be pressing the buttons, make sure that they've got a copy of your PowerPoint slides, or at least the PDF version of them. And I have seen that happen. Uh, not. For me, not with me, but I've seen other webinars where for some reason the guest presenter couldn't get his, his slide presentation working, but the, so the host had the copy of the slides, and the host was running through, through the slides, and all the presenter had to say was, okay, next slide, next please, slide, Marsha. Please. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. So those are the sort of things that you can put as backup. There are things, that, and as I said, to prevent them, just just make it, uh, make this uh, technology as reliable as possible. So work from a comfortable comfortable environment. Don't work in a busy coffee shop or in an airport terminal. I've, I've seen people do webinars from airport lounges, oh and they work, but but there is background noise, and uh, uh, it, it wasn't anywhere near as effective. And uh, internet's unreliable. So try to try to create as, uh, as reliable a technology setup as possible. And uh, when you get started, don't try to do too much in your webinar. Don't try to use all the features just because they're there. Just you know, start your webinar, say hello, press the record button, and then go through slide presentations, stop for questions, and then read out the questions as they come in. That's the easiest way to get started. and the easiest way to prevent problems. And more, I think, Marsha, to prevent the concern about problems. Because I find that a lot of, in fact, a few of my clients have kind of had to push them over the edge. I've said, look, you're good enough now. you just got to do it. Because they think, what if this goes wrong? What if this goes wrong? And it's actually the worry about it going wrong that causes them more of a problem than it actually going wrong. Is there a rule of thumb about how many slides you should plan to have for, let's say, a one-hour webinar? I've got a... I've actually got a number, and I've got a, a rule of thumb. So look, the number, if people want, if you really want to know uh, just a number, I reckon one slide per minute, mm-hmm. which sounds like a lot. And if you're doing a, if you're doing a one-hour face-to-face seminar or one-hour training program, you say, oh my God, I'm not going to have 60 slides. However, for a webinar, because your because your slides are the visuals, uh, one slide per minute is a good rule of thumb. Uh, my guideline is is this: that what's on the screen should match what you're saying at the time. So this is where I see the problem: that people will have a slide up there for five minutes, but they can't be talking about the content of that, of that one slide for five minutes. So people get so their participants get distracted. They realise that this slide's on there for a long time, so that the slides aren't changing very frequently. So they they disappear, uh, at least mentally. They'd, be checking their email, they're doing their other things. So if you go for one slide a minute, uh, or if you think about is what is my slide? Am I now talking about stuff that should be on another slide? Then then create another slide. And by the way, one thing you can do with slides that that are quite effect that's quite effective in a webinar is let's say you're talking about like you know you know Marsha Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm-hmm. I reckon. A lot of people presenting that in a face-to-face context would present a slide listing all the seven habits. And there may not be seven bullet points. They may be actually aligned and laid out more attractively, but they'd, they'd have a slide with seven things on there. And then they talk to that slide. And that slide there is a reference for people to glance, to, glance up to at any time. Now, in a webinar, if you were doing that, you should have seven slides, maybe even eight. So you'd have a summary slide with all seven. And then as you're talking through them, you switch slides to to only uh, highlight the one that you're talking about. And that's how you can get one slide per minute. It's not that you have to spend a lot of time creating new content. It's just taking the content that you've got and just breaking it down into smaller chunks into, into more slides. So that's the way that you get one slide per minute, or at least make sure the slides match what you're talking about. Great. And my last question has to do with recording a webinar. So do you normally do that and... Have you ever turned a recorded webinar into a product or into uh, something that you invite people to view afterwards as a kind of canned webinar? So tell me about that. Yeah, 
so so yes and yes <laughs> I'd recommend I, rec I record all my webinars uh, there's this one series that I don't record but that's because it's a private mastermind group with a small group of people and we deliberately don't record it for, for confidentiality reasons but all the others I record and I make the recordings available so I do it in a couple of ways so the public webinars that I run every two weeks the half hour webinar um, I record that and because it's public I'm happy to publish it to YouTube so I have all my webinar recordings the public ones available on YouTube I also run a private membership site, so this is a paid community, a paid, paid product, and I have monthly webinars for, for members of my community, and those webinars are available live, and I also make the recording available. And I find, because I can look at the stats, I find about as many people watch the recording as attend live, and sometimes more, because you know we're all busy, we can't always attend at the exact time that the webinar's on, so especially if people know there's going to be a recording available, sometimes they will just say, okay, well, I'll watch the recording. It does mean, it does mean that you you may get fewer people attending the live webinar because people don't make as much of an effort now to set aside the time to attend live because they know the recording is available. And when I first started doing this, I thought, oh, I better not make the recordings available because then I'll get fewer people attending. But my feeling now is that I actually want to make this information available, especially to these members who are paying a monthly fee to be part of, the, part of this membership site. I want to make this information available, and they shouldn't miss out just because they can't make it on, on the day. So now, even though I know that it, it means I get fewer people attending live, I make the recording available as well. And uh, the, the recording is, is dead easy. It's much easier than recording a face-to-face -face presentation where you have to get somebody to come in and do a, do a video for you and you have to again think about lighting and so on. With GoToWebinar you just press the start recording button when you start and then stop recording at the end and the recording, the, the actual recording is just sitting there on my PC. And the, the recording, is that something that gets hosted on GoToWebinar or is it something you need to download and then post on your own website? Yeah. So it, it's, it's both. There's, there's two plans with GoToWebinar, one which includes hosting and one which doesn't. So when I signed up, I don't think they even had this, the plan with hosting, so I hosted with another service. The one that I use is called Sprout Video, so like in Brussels Sprout. So Sprout Video is like a private YouTube. So you publish your, you, you upload your webinars there, and then it gives you the, the video embedding code, which you can then embed in a, in a website or a blog, or in my case, in my private membership site. So I use that. It's $10 a month, and so far I've not had to upgrade to the higher plan, even though there's three years worth of webinars hosted up there. So yes, it's, um, the, the file just sits on my PC as soon as the recording is complete. It's there on my PC. I don't need to download it. Unlike most teleseminar services, where the MP3 file is actually hosted on the service, isn't it? And you can download it if you want to. Good. Well, I have learned a lot during this hour, and I want to thank you for educating not only me, but all of our listeners. And again, if you would like to follow up with Gihan Pereira or get his book, Webinar Smarts, go to www.webinarsmarts.com. If you would like to check out my Teleteach for Profit course, go to www.yudkin.com slash teleteach.htm. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise today. This is Marsha Yudkin. Bye-bye.
I hope you enjoyed that. As Marcia said at the end of the interview, if you'd like to know more about webinars, you can check out my website at webinarsmarts.com and you'll find regular blog posts there with tips about how to run better webinars. There's a free email course that you can sign up for and you can also get my book, Webinar Smarts. You can also get a five-part webinar series I did about how to plan, prepare and promote effective webinars. That's all at webinarsmarts.com. You've been listening to the Expert Gold Podcast. Visit us on the web at gihanperera.com. That's G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A.com. You can join the podcast, listen to past issues, and leave your comments, suggestions, and ideas. We look forward to having you back soon. In the meantime, remember, great minds don't think alike.